Thank you so much, Pastor Bob. Good to be with you guys today. My name is Dave, if you don't know me. My uh, job here is the pastor of spiritual formation and care. Excited to start a new series in the book of Proverbs with you uh, this morning. Please open up your Bible app, as Pastor Bob mentioned, or your hard copy of the Bible as we look at the first seven verses. I want to just specially highlight and thank a certain team that was really uh, hard at work this week to make all this responsible. So everybody look back there and thank the AV team for all of this setup that's happened today. We love you guys. Thank you so much for your hard work and making this an excellent service. Great job. As we begin this series, as we begin this message today, let me ask you a question. What if God were to come to you and say, I will grant you one wish? What would you wish for? Some of you might say, I'd wish that I never got to work, whenever I had to work again, or maybe never go to school again, or maybe some of you just wish that this COVID-19 pandemic would be over. Can I get a raised hand on that? This is the way you say amen in a safe, friendly way, right? Just to raise your hand. It's all right. We're Baptists, but we can raise our hands and say amen, right? So what would you wish for? Did you know that that actually occurred in time and space history one time? God actually appeared to a man in 1 Kings chapter 3 named Solomon and said, you're the king of Israel. I'm going to grant you one request. What do you want more than anything else in your life? Solomon thought it over and basically said, I'm paraphrasing here, but he basically said, God, I know I'm the king, but I feel so inadequate as a leader. I don't know what to do with these people more than anything else. I want wisdom. I want to be able to think the way you think. I want to see things from your perspective. I don't want to look back on my life and have mistakes, especially big mistakes, being the leader of your people. And I don't want to have those kind of regrets. I want wisdom. And the Bible says that God was so pleased with that request that he granted it. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 7 says, Wisdom is supreme, therefore get wisdom, though it cost you all you have. In other words, having great life circumstances or fame or beauty or this world's resources are not the most important thing in life. After all, there's lots of people who have talent, charisma, credentials, beauty, and their lives fall apart. And then there's other people who, who don't have as much talent. They don't have as much charisma. They don't have those kind of credentials or beauty, but yet they do so well. What's the difference between those two groups? The difference is wisdom. That's why Proverbs 8.11 will say, Wisdom is better than jewels, and all desirable things cannot compare with her. We're going to see in the book of Proverbs that wisdom is going to be personified as a woman, which is a very interesting rhetorical device. That's what our new series is about, getting wisdom. We're going to study this book throughout this summer. Each week we're going to have a different theme and think about what Proverbs says about that particular theme, and we're going to dive into this book each and every week because wisdom is so, so important. I first bumped into the book of Proverbs about 20 years ago as a young adult, and I was just amazed at how relevant and practical this book is to our everyday lives and our everyday decisions. I wish I had studied this book a little earlier in my life. It would have helped me not have made some of the mistakes I made and helped me not have some of the regrets that I, that I have. In fact, if you go back to the greatest regrets that you have in your life, uh, maybe there was a, a time in your life where you made some difficult, uh, 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 bad decisions or there was a difficult time where you didn't quite know what to do. Often if we go back to the book of Proverbs and see the wisdom here, we realize I could have avoided that regret had I followed what God's word has to say in this book. And so in this message today, I want to do three things with you. I want to give you a little background on the book of Proverbs. 
Raise your finger. This is point number one. Background of the book of Proverbs, right? Point number two is going to be the four types of listeners in the book of Proverbs. Let me see your number two. And then point number three is going to be the foundation of it all, the fear of the Lord. So as we begin this study, I want to commit this time in prayer to the Lord. I know it's hot out here. There's some distractions, but let's really try to focus our attention on God's word. Would you stand with me as we pray and ask for God's blessing on our time in his word today? If you're able, stand with me and pray in your heart. God, thank you for preserving this treasure trove of wisdom. Would you now give us open hearts and open ears and open eyes to see what your word has to say to us? And together, we all, like Solomon this morning, ask that you would make us wise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's begin at the beginning. Chapter 1, verse 1, Pastor Bob read earlier, says, The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, the king of Israel. So two observations right there from verse 1, right? The author is Solomon. Solomon was the wisest person to have ever lived and will ever live, the Bible says. Amazing. Uh, This book was not all written by him personally, but he is where the wisdom tradition uh, began. It says he was also the king. Which leads us to ask, what is the purpose of this book? The purpose was for the king to put together a training manual to train the next king of Israel to be able to lead his people. That was the original purpose of Proverbs. But they broadened that purpose out because over time we realized that all of God's people need wisdom and all of God's people need to sit under wise mentors and teachers and learn God's wisdom. And so this, this book has been preserved for us and it's wise if we follow its advice here. When you read this book, I want you to imagine an older, uh, more learned person sitting on a park bench sharing with you uh, the good decisions they made in their life and the bad decisions they made in their life and the lessons that they learned from that and listen to them as they share God's wisdom. That's Solomon here. That's his heart. Now, what is wisdom? It's a little different from uh, moral goodness. It's not exactly the same as, as right or wrong. At times, we go to the Bible and we think about this is for our morality. This is about what's right or wrong. But ancient Hebrew wisdom is a little different. It's a different guide. It's like a compass, and it's not necessarily the same as moral goodness. It's actually much more than that. That's not less than moral goodness, but it is, it is more than moral goodness, which is good because about 80% of the decisions you and I are faced with in our lives are not about morally what's right or wrong. A lot of times it's more like what's right or left. Now, I don't mean politically, but I just mean should I make this decision or that decision? Should I take this road or should I take that road? Should I marry this person or that person? Should I take this job or that job? Should I, should I leave this job or that job? I have to confront this person. Should I confront them now or should I confront them later or should I let it go? Those are decisions of wisdom, and we need wisdom in many different circumstances in life. That's why wisdom is so important. For example, let's say in your heart of hearts you really want to help the poor. Well, It takes wisdom to know exactly how to do that in such a way that helps them and not cripples them. You you must be aware of the complexities of how poverty works. Or let's say someone in your life needs a confrontation from you, but you know that the right word at the wrong time can be disastrous, right? So that takes wisdom. Uh, The Hebrew word for wisdom is the word hokmah and means skill. It's used of those who constructed the tabernacle, like this tent here. Uh, it, It took skill to to craft together the the temple or the tabernacle of God. But this is a different kind of skill. This is the skill that's above every skill, the skill of living life, to live life skillfully and before God's face. Proverbs is about living well in God's world. Proverbs is not just the name of the book, though. 
a proverb is a genre of writing. Proverbs are those pithy, clever, catchy sayings that communicate a very specific, simple truth. Many proverbs are just very short, one line, maybe two lines. They're not meant to be exhaustive. They're not meant to be comprehensive. They're just memorable and clever. Proverbs exist in every culture. We have proverbs in our culture, right? Uh, we say things like, many hands make light work. Or, you know, don't cry over spilled milk. Uh, you know, one of my personal favorites, money isn't everything, but it sure keeps the kids around, right? So proverbs, we have them in our life in every, in every culture. Proverbs are clever, clever, simple, general truths. Oftentimes they use figures of speech to help explain what's going on here. They're part of every culture. It's important to understand the genre of Proverbs before we even dig in here. Because many people, when they read this book, they, they run into all kinds of problems. Uh, the first kind of problem that people run into is they say, this book seems very man-centered, very human-centered. Many of these verses talk about you and me. Uh, how can I be successful? How can I be victorious? How can I have good friendships? And so some people charge this book with being a little narcissistic. It feels very different from other Bible books. Uh, the book of Proverbs is also, secondly, accused often of being prosperity-oriented. Prosperity theologians love this book. They quote it very often. How do we deal with that? Like Proverbs chapter 3 says, My son, don't forget my teaching. Let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace, they will add to you. And we read that and go, really? Years of life? What about my godly friend or child who was killed at a young age? Or we read Proverbs 3, 9. Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. And you object, saying, Pastor Dave, not only are my barns not full, I don't even have a barn. Uh, the prosperity formula has not worked for me. Many of us would have to admit that Proverbs at times leads, leaves us kind of scratching our heads. Thirdly, some people see Proverbs as overly simplistic or, or formula-driven. Do this, turn the crank, and then this will occur. Just like the verse promises. It seems a little too black and white. seems like it's not accounting for those gray areas in our lives. Like Proverbs 22, train up a child in the way they will go, and when they're old, they will not depart from it. Isn't that an oversimplification? Many parents are angry with God because this verse has seemingly not worked out for them or their child. So my point is, as we enter into this study of the book of Proverbs, we must be very careful. We must have a sound theological framework for understanding what this book is and what this book isn't. Proverbs is very different from one of Paul's letters. We can't study this book the way we studied the book of Romans. It's a very different genre. Of all the 66 books in the Bible, Proverbs is arguably the, the most unique in its form and in its function. And so as we begin, let's just back up and say, what's Proverbs? What is the purpose of this? How can we carefully handle this book so that we become experts in wisdom and yet not misunderstand this and end up in frustration? So let me just make one point right at the beginning here that's really important. When you read the book of Proverbs, you are not reading a book of God's promises. That's not what the book of Proverbs is. When it says the fear of the Lord will prolong your life, but the years of the wicked are cut short, or when it talks about training your children and when they're old, they won't depart from that. Yes, if you fear God, your life will likely not be cut short. 
and raising your children to fear the Lord does set them up well, but there are no guarantees as things still go wrong in this fallen world. It's not a promise, if I do this, then I'll always prosper in this area. That's not what's intended here. See, Proverbs are they're about probabilities. They're about general principles and truths that can be recognized. You can do certain things, and most likely you'll get certain results. If you fear the Lord, things will go well. If not, things will go poorly. That's usually true, but not always. Proverbs focus on the general rules, not necessarily the exceptions. I want you to think of Proverbs like traffic laws. Think of them like traffic laws. If you submit to traffic laws, if you stop at stop signs, if you stay the speed limit, you'll tend to have fewer traffic tickets, fewer accidents, better overall results. The same is true in the book of Proverbs. If you're wise with your money, your wealth will tend to increase. If, if you're gentle with your tongue, conflicts will tend to dissipate around you. If, if you seek a multitude of counselors, you will tend to make better decisions in your life. It doesn't mean that's always the case. So just as the most careful driver can still get in an accident, godly Christians might still face difficulties, suffering, injustice, and pain in this fallen world. But you can increase the likelihood and decrease the self-inflicted pain of shooting myself in the, my own foot, right? By what? Fearing the Lord and following his wisdom here. Now with that background... I want to share with you four types of listeners who are reading the book of Proverbs. We learn about these in chapter 1 in the first seven verses. You can see these four people. Okay, so the first kind of person is in verse 4. So hold up your, your, your first finger. This is number 1. The first kind of person is called the naive. The naive. Some translations say the simple. Verse 4. These people are gullible. They are, they are not shrewd. They believe anything and everything. How many of you, you know somebody like this in your life? You've run into a few naive people here and there? Only if, not many hands going up in this service. If you're not raising your hand, it might be you. I'm just saying. So usually we know a few, and no, I'm kidding with you, a few naive people, right? You ask them where chocolate milk comes from, they say it probably comes from brown cows, right? You, you, you ask them if gullible's in the dictionary, you don't think so, and they believe you on This is the person that clicks on every piece of clickbait on Facebook and social media that can be clicked on, shares every hoax out there, believes everything that they are told. This is the naive. Now, I'm kidding around a little bit here, but all of us from time to time can be tossed around like the waves, especially on subjects that we don't know what we're talking about. So we have to remember that. And the naive, this book is for us, those that are easily misled. Samson in the book of Judges is a good example of this. He was, he was simple. He was naive. Proverbs will help the naive person become much more prudent. Uh, the second person, let me see that number two up there. The second person in the book of Proverbs that's listening here is the young. We see them in verse 4. The young. The young person. These are those who are just getting started in life, from adolescence maybe to the beginning of adulthood. They don't really have a plan, but they're looking to learn. If that's you, that's great. This series is for you. It is for the young. You don't want to be like so many young people out there who are lacking in common sense or don't have a plan or just play video games in Fortnite or just want to stay in their parents' basement for, for a decade. Young people need a plan. Young people tend to lack knowledge and discretion. And so this book was written to help young people live wisely beyond their years. That's the second person in the book of Proverbs, the young. The third person we see in verse 5, 
The third person who's listening, let me say that number three, the third person in Proverbs is the wise person. These are those around us who are aged, who are learned, the mature saints who have, you know, got some gray hair on top and learned some things over the years because of it. Solomon tells us, though, that this book is for you, too. Did you see that? Because why? The wiser I get, the less I realize I know. The, the more I l grow, the more questions I have in my life. I remember graduating from seminary, and the, the piece of paper said, Master of Theology, and, and one of my mentors said, now, now you do know, Dave, you are not a Master of Theology, right? That's just a piece of paper. It's so true. We just learn how much we don't know. The wise person is continually learning. They are a lifetime learner. So this book is for the wise person. If you have some understanding, then Proverbs will always help you increase that more and more in your life. God's wisdom is for everyone, every age and stage, the mature, the immature. We can all benefit from reading the book of Proverbs. The only exception is found in verse 7. This is the fourth person. Let me see that number four up there. The fourth person is who? The fool. The foolish person despises God's wisdom. They are not teachable. I pray that none of us are in this category uh, today. We're going to learn so much about the fool in this series. Uh, the fool is the one who doesn't learn simply because they don't want to learn. Uh, they are opposed to God's word, opposed to God's covenant altogether. The fool will not benefit from this book. They don't want to learn God's wisdom. They don't desire to grow up. They don't want to practice godly living. They have issues with, with authority in general and just don't think that uh, authority is trustworthy, not even God. And so they stay foolish. Uh, someone once said, you're only young once, but you can stay immature your whole life. Right? That's the fool. Now, one short comment here about the structure of Proverbs. It's, it's in four different sections. Uh, the first section we're looking at today, the first seven verses, they call the preamble. So it's just the very beginning, very introduction. Then in chapters 1 through 9, you have 10 lessons of wisdom. 10 lessons, and each lesson begins with the words, my son, my son, my son, my son. 10 times in chapters 1 through 9, 10 different lessons of wisdom. Then in chapters 10 through 30, we have the anthology of Proverbs. Those are those short little pithy sayings, one verse, two verses, and they cover all kinds of topics, you know, money, business, friendship, gossip, the tongue, all kinds of different topics. They're in no apparent order. They are just a collection of wisdom there. And then in chapter 31, we have an epilogue or a conclusion. And some people see that as the personification of wisdom at the end of the book of Proverbs. So there's the structure. Now, let me just go back to that person called the fool for a moment. Because as we get into that larger anthology of Proverbs, chapter 10 through 30, we learn that there's something very interesting structurally going on there. And that is that there's two different ways to be a fool in the book of Proverbs. There's two ways to become a fool. So chapters 10 through 15 are principles by which life normally works. You work hard, you prosper. You, you, you're lazy, you're going to be poor. You live a wicked life, things are not going to go well for you. Raise a child the right way. When they're older, they will honor you. The, if you're a conservative person, you read chapters 10 through 15 and you go, yeah, that's right. That's how life works. If you would have just did it right, made the right decisions, things would have gone better for you. That's chapters 10 through 15. But then you keep reading in chapters 16 through 22, and you start seeing the exceptions to this rule. 
It says some people work hard and they still have a lousy life. Some people work hard and they stay poor because of oppression. Some people raise children right and they go off the rails. Now, if you're a liberal person, you read those chapters and you go, yes, yeah, see, I told you. Life's a lot more messy than that. But there's two ways to be a fool. In other words, if you don't think there's any principles, any patterns, any basic formulas in life that will work, you're a fool. But if you think life always goes according to that pattern, you're also a fool. So there's two ways to be a fool, right? You can be a conservative fool and think there's always this way to do it, and this is the formula, like Job's friends. They're a good example of the conservative fool. If you think, I'll live a good life, it will go well, you're a conservative fool. But if you think, I don't have to abide by any of these principles whatsoever because it doesn't matter anyway, you're a liberal fool. You see the problem? The wise person listens to both sides and holds them in tension. And we'll talk about that as we go throughout this series. One of the things we're going to do is go more in depth on our Monday videos about these passages so that we can have shorter sermons on Sundays. And some of you are thinking, amen, Pastor Dave, that's good news to my heart. There are four kind of listeners here in the book of Proverbs, though. Which kind of listener are you? My encouragement this morning as we begin is that you would be the wise listener, the person of wisdom. Notice it says in, in verse 2, to add to your wisdom, or Proverbs 2, 7 says, store up wisdom. How many of you remember back in the middle of March, people were storing up things in their house? People were storing up toilet paper. They were storing up hand sanitizer. I still haven't seen hand sanitizer in the store. People were storing up all, they were hoarding, right? They were hoarding these things. The book of Proverbs says there's one thing that it's really good for you to hoard. There's one thing that it's really good for you to store up, and that is the wisdom of God. Take time to store up wisdom for yourself. Store up wisdom. Now, where does wisdom come from? It comes from God's word. It comes from his revelation. It doesn't come from inside myself. Proverbs 26, verse 28 says, whoever trusts in himself is a fool. Uh, Proverbs 14, 12, there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end is death. And so we go to God's word to store up wisdom because God knows our hearts are flawed, because God knows that we need his word. And so don't go to the astrology for your guide or a magic eight ball. You go to God's word as the source of your wisdom. Don't trust in any other guide for your life. Now, I want you to notice one more point from verse 7 here, and that it says that wisdom is God-centered. It says the fear of the Lord is the very beginning of wisdom here. This is not a man-centered book. Uh, the word for the Lord, Yahweh, is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's used 84 different times in this book. This book is about living in a wise way in relationship to my God, living before his face, living before the face of God with his wisdom in practical areas of my life that show up every single day. And so while in this series, we will be talking a lot about your anger and your friendships and your budget and your gossip this is not a human-centered book. It's a God-centered book. This is foundational. We must fear the Lord, which means we have a healthy sense of reverence and awe for who God is and for all of his wisdom. This is the beginning of wisdom, to fear the Lord. That's the foundation for our maturity and growth. Do you have a healthy fear of the Lord? Do you have an awestruck wonder with who he is and all of his wisdom that he has to offer us? That's step one. And so as we start this series, let me just challenge you. The book of Proverbs is 31 chapters. I want to challenge you to read the book of Proverbs this summer. 
Now, there's a really easy way to do that. There's 31 chapters, and so each month has 31 days. You could read one chapter that corresponds to the day of the month. And this summer, you'll get, you'll get it read about two, two different times in a row if you go July and August. So read the book of Proverbs this summer and store up God's wisdom for yourself as we dive into these topics. Let me close by making one more point. In the book of Proverbs, we're going to see that wisdom is personified as a woman, that she calls out to God's people in the streets for us to listen to her. It's, it's a wonderful rhetorical device. It's very interesting, isn't it? It's very thought-provoking, and it's very effective. But is that all it is? Here we are looking back from the New Testament perspective, and we have to ask this question, what if wisdom really was a person? A person who I could get into relationship with and then in spending time with that one person, I could get all the wisdom I need. Friends, don't you see that a thousand years after this book was written, a man came on the scene and said, truly, truly, I tell you, something greater than Solomon is here. That's why Colossians chapter 2 says, in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. The person of Jesus Christ is the person that embodies wisdom. Wisdom is not just a, a group of sayings that we're to memorize and master. Wisdom, Jesus says, is me. Look at my life. Look at my deeds. Listen to my words, and you will be in a relationship with someone who's absolutely perfect in his wisdom. And in relationship with him, you too will become wise. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for making your wisdom available for us. It is not hidden. It is not secret. It's presented to us here uh, through Solomon and ultimately in a more perfect form through the person of your son, Jesus Christ. May we diligently seek him and diligently seek your wisdom and practice godliness so that we might be more and more skilled in living our lives for your glory. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our all-wise King, we pray. Amen and amen.